Welcome to Barry Pirro's Haunted Happenings Podcast, where I share in-depth stories of the paranormal, the supernatural, and the unexplained. So turn off your lights, sit back, and prepare to be scared. Niles always enjoyed being alone in the library after closing time. As head librarian of the Addersfield Public Library, he loved the bustle of activity when kids piled in after school or when the library had an event. But being alone in the library held a special place in his heart. It was his own private slice of time to unwind, to breathe in the silence, and to appreciate the singular beauty of being alone in a safe and familiar place. The day had been a quiet one. In the last hour, a few families had breezed through the DVD section to pick up movies for the upcoming weekend. Mrs. Millerton stopped by to pick up her Mystery of the Week, but not before giving Niles a full review of the last one she read. And a trio of Girl Scouts had marched up to the circulation desk and gave him their cookie sales pitch until he relented and bought two boxes of thin mints. After that, there were just a few stragglers who wandered in and browsed the books until the closing bell rang. The minute the last patron left and Niles locked the door behind them, the building seemed to settle down a notch, and the soft hiss of the cars driving by added to the calm ambiance. Knowing that he had the place to himself meant that he could take his time checking in the books from the book drop. It was a Saturday night, but he was in no real rush to leave. Snow flurries had started falling about an hour ago, but it was the type of snow that made him feel happy and nostalgic, not the kind that conjured up images of slippery roads. He sat behind the circulation desk with a pile of books on his right and his computer in front of him. Checking in books was pretty mindless work. Open a book, scan the barcode, toss it into the bin on the floor, then reach for the next book. He was down to just two books, a dog-eared Nora Roberts paperback and a massive Stephen King hardcover with a bright red cover. He was just about to reach for the paperback when his cell phone rang. Hello? Hey, what's happening, he said, getting up from his chair. He walked over to the large picture window that was a few feet away from the circulation desk. I didn't know you were back in town. Yeah, I'd love to meet up. I'm just about finished here. I just have two more books to check in, then I'm out of here. What's that? No. No, no, it's not too bad here. I'm looking out the window now, and it's just flurrying a little. Hey, you want to meet at Clancy's at around 8? All right. Okay, good. Yeah, I know. Well, you know how she is. Okay. All right. Well, I'll see you later then. All right, I will. Okay. Okay, bye. Niles hung up the phone with a smile on his face. He hadn't seen his buddy Rich in ages, and he couldn't wait to start the weekend by meeting up at their favorite bar. He looked up at the streetlights at the falling snow. It was barely coming down, but he thought he should probably leave soon in case people were being extra cautious with their driving. He walked back over to the circulation desk. 
sat back down behind his computer, reached over, and picked up the soft cover. He scanned it, threw it in the bin, then reached over to get the red book, but all his hand felt was the smooth surface of the desktop. He looked over. The book wasn't there. That's funny, he thought. I must have accidentally pushed it off the desk when I got up from my chair. He rolled his chair back and looked on the floor next to the desk, but the book wasn't there. Then he bent down and looked underneath the desk, but it wasn't there either. He also searched the garbage can that was pushed under the desk in case it had fallen in there, but apart from a few papers and candy wrappers, the can was empty. Could it have fallen in front of the circulation desk, he wondered? He got up and walked around the desk. All the lights in the library were on, and he could clearly see that the book wasn't on the floor. As he started making his way back to his computer, something dawned on him that made him stop. He couldn't have accidentally pushed the hardcover book off the desk. It was out of his reach when he got up and walked to the window. Only the soft cover was an easy reach. Not only that, the red book was so heavy that it would have made a really loud sound if it fell off the desk. Niles looked around the library and began to feel more than a little uneasy. Damn, he thought. I always check the library to see that all the patrons left, but I didn't do that tonight. Maybe somebody was hiding in the bathroom or in one of the offices when I locked up. Maybe they snuck up behind the desk and took the book while I was looking out the window. But why would somebody do such a thing? Maybe to freak me out? Well, if that's what they were after, then they got what they wanted. The library was quiet as a tomb. He strained his ears to hear any sound that might alert him that an intruder was in the building, but all was silent. Fortunately, the floor was carpeted, so his feet barely made a whisper as he crept out from behind the circulation desk. He walked slowly and quietly through the stacks and checked every aisle, but there was no sign of anyone. Then he poked his head in both bathrooms, turned on the lights, then pushed open the stalls, but all were empty. The two offices at the end of the library were empty as well. This is freaking weird, he thought. I know there was a big red hardcover book on the desk right next to the paperback. I know there was. I'm positive. I don't know what's going on, but I'm getting the hell out of here. He walked over to the front door, quickly turned off the lights in the main area of the library, then headed back behind the circulation desk to get his coat and to turn off his computer. He sat down at the computer and logged out, then he glanced to his right. He let out a gasp and shot up out of his chair. The red book was there, lying flat on the desk, right where it had been before. That's impossible, he thought. That's just impossible. I couldn't have missed seeing it. I couldn't have. He stared at the book in amazement, then reached out and touched it as if to make sure it was solid. What the fuck, he thought. I know that wasn't there. I'm positive it wasn't. He looked around the room, half expecting to see someone, maybe some kid who had found a hiding place and was playing a prank on him or something, but the room was empty. The library was still and silent, except for the hiss of cars driving by and the soft tick of the clock behind him. Niles grabbed his keys and pulled on his coat. He raced to the front door, turned off the last few remaining lights, then punched in the code to set the library's alarm. He pulled the door shut, then locked it behind him. The wind had picked up, 
and a tiny cyclone of snow wriggled its way down the walkway before collapsing into white nothingness. A chill ran through him, but it wasn't from the cold. As he was about to walk away, he turned around and took one last look into the library through the glass front doors. The light from the street lamp near the children's section illuminated the circulation desk, and when he saw what was on the desk, his blood ran cold. The red book was still there, but it wasn't lying flat on the desk the way he had left it. It was now standing on its end, with the cover facing him. Niles turned and ran. Do you ever lose things around the house? I know I do. We all lose things, so much so that an entire industry has grown up around our seemingly innate ability to be absent-minded. Don't believe me? Then just search online for tracking devices to find lost items. Apple sells AirTags that can be attached to just about anything you tend to lose and that can be traced through your iPhone. They also have tiles that you can stick onto things that will beep when you call for them on an app. There's a device called a Click and Dig specifically designed to help you find your lost TV remote. There are pet trackers, wallet finders, and various Find My Phone gadgets all having the job of helping us with our forgetfulness. Even without high-tech help, we always eventually find the things that we lose. And after we do, we usually realize that we put the item down somewhere when we were momentarily distracted. But there's another form of losing things that has nothing to do with being preoccupied or absent-minded. It goes something like this. You put your keys down on the table and leave the room for a minute. You come back and the keys are gone. You know just where you put them, on the table, but they're just not there. You search all over the room for them, under the table, on the floor, between the couch cushions, but you still can't find them. You leave the room and search around the house, but still no luck. A few minutes later, you walk back in the room, and there they are, on the table, right where you thought they were to begin with. You're absolutely sure that they weren't there before, but they somehow showed up again. Sound familiar? If so, you've just experienced Disappearing Object Phenomenon, or DOP for short. In a nutshell, the phenomenon is this. Things disappear, you look all over but you can't find them, then you find them again. Big deal, right? Well, it is a big deal, because many instances of disappearing object phenomenon are so odd, so astonishingly impossible, that they change people's entire perception of reality. How do I know this? Because I have had four incredible DOP experiences, and they literally changed my belief in the rules, regulations, and behavior of matter itself. But before I get to my stories, let's take a look at some of the research being done on DOP. Disappearing object phenomenon is a type of paranormal experience that's so unique that it's difficult to classify. Psychical researcher Mary Rose Barrington, who spent years researching the phenomenon, came up with the acronym JOT, J-O-T-T, which stands for Just One of Those Things, 
to describe anomalous experiences that don't fit into current categories of paranormal classification. She also has a name for displaced objects. She calls these jottles. In her book, Jot, Why Things Disappear or Come Back or Relocate and Why It Really Happens, Ms. Barrington divides jottles into six different categories. First, there's the flyaway. This is where an object inexplicably disappears from a specific location and it's never seen again. For example, one woman told me that she had taken off her favorite pair of earrings before heading outside to do some yard work. She put them on the kitchen table, then went outside. When she came back, the earrings were gone. She was alone in the house at the time, and it would have been impossible for someone to walk in and steal them because her dog was inside and he was very protective. She was working on the garden right next to the back door of the house, and she would have heard him barking if anyone came in. She spent months looking all over the house for those earrings, but she simply never saw them again. Next, there's the walkabout. This is when an object goes missing from one location and is found in a different location. So, you put your keys down on the table next to you, they vanish, and several minutes later you find them across the room on a bookshelf or in a different room. A couple told me a story that's a perfect example of the walkabout phenomenon. A six-inch-tall metal crucifix hung on the wall behind their bed. It had been hanging there for several years, until one morning they woke up and it was gone, even though the nail was still in the wall. They searched behind and under the bed, but they couldn't find it. Then they searched all over the room for it, but it was nowhere to be found. Three weeks later, the husband went to get something out of the bedroom closet, and there was the crucifix lying on the floor of the closet. The couple had walked in and out of this closet multiple times in those three weeks, and it definitely wasn't there before. Next is the comeback. This is the most common form of DOP, when an object disappears from a specific location, then reappears in the same location after a period of time. This can be minutes later, hours later, or even years later. Then there's the turn-up when a familiar object is discovered in an unexpected location. Objects have turned up in some pretty strange places, on top of cabinets, inside of frozen food boxes in the freezer, or even balanced on top of doors. One great example of this comes from a woman who contacted me through my website, ConnecticutGhostHunter.com. She said that one day she was alone in her house putting decorations on her Christmas tree. When she reached over to get a favorite, very delicate antique ornament, it was gone. She searched all over the room, but she couldn't find it. A few days later, she found the delicate glass ornament on her bed under her pillow, the same pillow she had been sleeping on for three nights. It couldn't have been there all that time, because if she laid on it, it would have broken to pieces. Next is the windfall the appearance of an object that's not familiar to the experience. For example, one man reported finding coins randomly strewn about on the floor of his home. But these weren't ordinary coins. They were always either old coins, all with the same date, 
or they were coins from a variety of different countries, none of which the man had ever visited. Finally, there's the trade-in. This involves a trade or swap of one object for a different object. For example, you put a dollar bill on the table, then come back a few minutes later and there's a spoon in its place. Or you leave a hammer on the workbench which disappears, but you return later and there's a bag of nails in its place. Although you can find tons of stories about people's DOP experiences online, the best way to illustrate the phenomenon is to tell you about my own first-hand encounters, four profoundly odd experiences that truly defy explanation. The first happened several years ago. I came down to the kitchen one morning and made myself a cup of coffee. I always keep the sugar bowl on the shelf on top of the stove. By this, I mean the shelf that's part of the stove, right above where the clock and buttons for operating the stove are. If you want to see a picture of the sugar bowl on the stove shelf, there's a link to it in the program notes. So, I took the sugar bowl off the shelf, spooned out some sugar for my coffee, and returned it. I then walked into the family room no more than 15 feet away and sat down to have my cup of coffee. A few minutes later, my son walked into the kitchen and asked where the sugar bowl was because he wanted sugar for his cereal. I told him it was on the stove, but he called over to me that it wasn't there. I told him that I had just used it and I just put it back, but he insisted it wasn't there. I said that I was so positive it was there that he would have to pay me $5 when I showed it to him. I walked over to the stove and sure enough, the sugar bowl was not where I had left it. There was no one else in the house at the time, so even though I was positive I had left it in its usual place, I naturally assumed that I must have been mistaken and that I hadn't put it back on the stove after all, that I had absent-mindedly put it somewhere else. But where was it? My son and I looked all over the kitchen for the sugar bowl, on the stove, in the cabinets above the stove, on the shelves next to the stove, and on the kitchen counters. The sugar bowl was nowhere to be found. This was really frustrating as I knew that I had just used it, but since we couldn't find it, I took a sack of sugar from the pantry and gave it to my son. I went back to the family room, which is in full view of the kitchen, and finished my coffee. About ten minutes later, I walked into the kitchen to get a glass from the cabinet, which was right next to the stove, and there on the stove, in its regular place, was the sugar bowl. I actually gasped when I saw it. I called my son down from his room and asked if he had put it there, but he swore he didn't. He confirmed that the sugar bowl had not been in its usual place and that we both had thoroughly looked all over the kitchen for it. Now remember, there was no one else in the house at the time and I could see the kitchen the entire time I was in the family room drinking my coffee. When I was looking in the cabinets above the stove, I would have seen the sugar bowl if it was there. If you look at the picture posted on my website, you'll see the cabinets above and to the left and right of the stove. There's absolutely no way I could have missed seeing it, and there's no way that we both could have missed seeing the bowl had it been sitting there on the shelf. The disappearance and reappearance of the sugar bowl is a total mystery that my son and I talk about to this day.
This next DOPS story was so strange that as soon as it happened, I emailed a friend to tell her about it. She's a fellow paranormal investigator, so I knew that she'd find the story interesting. I wrote, Hey Karen, just a quick but strange story about my morning. I was in the bathroom getting ready for work. Earlier, I had used a pair of scissors to cut open a package and they were still on the bathroom counter. I was worried that my three-year-old daughter would get a hold of them and hurt herself, so I took them out of the bathroom, walked over to the vanity just outside the bathroom door, and put them in the top drawer of the vanity. As I put them in the drawer, I was thinking that it would be a good idea to put them right in the front of the drawer rather than push them to the back so that my wife would be able to find them and so no one would cut their fingers on them if they rummaged through the drawer looking for something. I put the scissors in the drawer and closed it. I never left the bedroom, and no one came into the room while I was getting dressed. After I got dressed, I walked back into the bathroom. As I was combing my hair, I looked over, and the scissors were back on the bathroom counter. They weren't in the exact place as they were before, but they were in the same general location. I was really stunned. I clearly remember putting them in the drawer, and even remember noticing which way the points of the scissors were facing when I put them there. This next story happened while I was at work, and I have to say it was one of the strangest experiences I've ever had. One morning, I walked into my office and sat down at my desk in front of my computer. I went to put my hands on the keyboard to log in, but the keyboard was missing. The monitor was on my desk, as was the computer itself, but the keyboard was missing. I sat there for several seconds, surprised that there was no keyboard. I looked at the desk and wondered where it was. The desk that my computer was on was very old, and as I sat there, I noticed all of the scratched wood on the desktop, something I don't normally see because it's always covered by the keyboard. I went around to the back of the computer to see if it had somehow fallen off the desk. I checked the computer port where the keyboard should have been plugged in, and I saw that nothing was plugged into it. I checked the floor under the desk to see if the keyboard was there, but it was not. After searching for quite a while, I assumed that the computer technician had taken it away to replace it for some reason, like maybe they were replacing all of the keyboards. So I got up from my desk and moved to my colleague's computer, which was on the other side of the desk. I logged in and did some work online. As I was working, my colleague came into the office and I explained that I was using her computer because the keyboard to mine was missing. She was fine with that because she didn't need her computer just then, so she left the room to get some work done in the room next door. A few minutes later, I got up from her computer and went to my side of the desk to get some papers, and I was totally shocked to see my keyboard sitting in its usual place. There is absolutely no way that I could have missed it. Remember, I had sat in front of my computer looking for it for quite a while. I'm totally positive that the keyboard was gone. I never left the room the entire time this incident occurred, and the whole time, my computer was right across from my colleagues just a few feet away. It was so close, I could have reached out and touched it. 
This last story involves something a lot bigger than a pair of scissors or a sugar bowl or a computer keyboard, and this time there were three witnesses. One Friday evening, my daughter borrowed one of the family cars to visit her friend in a neighboring town. She said that she might stay overnight at her friend's house, and if she did, that she would be back sometime in the morning. Early the next morning, I had to drive my son to the train station. We got into my car and drove up the driveway, and we both commented that my daughter must have stayed over at her friend's house that night because the car wasn't in the driveway. When I got home from the train station, I noticed that the car wasn't back yet, so I assumed that she was still at her friend's house. Later that morning, my wife went out for her daily run. She went through the garage, ran straight up the driveway, went for her run around the neighborhood, then ran back down the driveway to the garage. When she came into the house, I asked her if the car was back yet, but she said it wasn't. I started to get concerned because I hadn't heard from my daughter, so I called her cell phone. She picked up immediately. I asked her where she was, and she said that she was upstairs in her bedroom. You're in your bedroom, I said. Where's the car? She said it was in the driveway. I told her it wasn't there, but she insisted that it must be because she parked it in its usual spot when she got home the night before. I looked out the front window, and sure enough, the car was sitting in its regular spot. It's absolutely impossible that three people could have passed the car without seeing it. What's more, I had looked out that front window several times that morning and never saw the car there. I can't stress enough what an incredible example of disappearing object phenomenon this is. The car was parked in the middle of the driveway in such a way that it was nearly blocking it. On my way to and from the train station, had it been there, I would have had to practically drive on the grass to get around it. My son and I simply couldn't have missed seeing it, and it would have been impossible for my wife to have not seen it. She would have ran right past it on her way up the driveway, then ran past it again on her way down. There are many fascinating theories about disappearing object phenomenon. One is that the objects are missing as the result of poltergeist activity. For those unacquainted with the term, a poltergeist is described as a playful ghost. Many poltergeist cases report small objects, such as coins or stones, appearing in strange places or even materializing and falling from the ceiling. But there are a few problems with the poltergeist theory. First, one would have to have a lot of objects vanishing and reappearing for it to be blamed on a poltergeist. Second, poltergeist activity is almost always extremely disruptive. Objects are hurled across rooms, there are loud banging sounds, and small fires have even been known to break out during poltergeist cases. Lastly, although objects may appear and disappear during poltergeist cases, these are usually bizarre occurrences where objects which are often unknown to people in the house appear out of nowhere. This includes jewelry that doesn't belong to any family member, small objects such as toys or knickknacks, and showers of stones falling inside of a home. Lost keys? I just don't think poltergeists think that small. Another theory is that DOP is the result of interference by aliens. If you have any interest in UFO phenomenon, 
then no doubt you've heard stories of abductees experiencing missing time. How does that apply to disappearing objects? Well, time is a funny thing. It doesn't behave the way we think it does. In a sense, time doesn't really exist. It's subjective. So if some sort of interdimensional being, such as an alien, were to invade our space, their mere presence may affect the way we perceive time in our slice of the universe. It's not that they took an object and returned it, but that they inadvertently affected time and space in such a way that the object actually didn't exist for a short time. Pretty cool, right? Another theory is that missing objects somehow become temporarily invisible. Why would an object become invisible, you ask? One reason could be because of a dimensional shift. If we accept that there are more than three dimensions, then it's possible that my computer keyboard somehow temporarily shifted into another dimension, then shifted back again. Or something even creepier might have happened. I might have temporarily shifted into another dimension where my computer keyboard didn't exist. The parallel universe theory is my favorite and the one that I feel best explains DOP. Think of the world you live in right now. You may be married, have four beautiful children, a dog, and a nice house. Now imagine layer upon layer of other possible realities that you also live in. There may be a reality where you never married, where you have no children, and you live in an apartment where they don't allow dogs. Or another reality where your life took a totally different direction and you became a Tibetan monk or a TV weatherman. Layer upon layer upon layer of different realities, each just as real as the one that you're currently focused on. Now, in this theory, none of the other versions of you are aware of each other, but together, they make up the total you. The real you is the sum of all their parts. So what if missing objects are really just a brief refocusing of our attention into one of these other worlds? It makes a lot of sense that things would not be where we expect them to be. In a slightly different version of my life in a parallel universe, I might keep my sugar bowl somewhere else. Very much like Alice going through the looking glass and seeing her house looking almost the same but slightly different, it's very possible that we occasionally slip in and out of these other versions of our lives without noticing. That is, until something goes missing from where we expect it to be. I posted an article on the subject of missing object phenomenon on my website, ConnecticutGhostHunter.com, and to date, it has received more comments than any other article I've ever written. In addition, people were anxious to tell me about their DOP experiences, so I'd like to share a few of them here. One man wrote, I'm a retired electronics engineer and a hard-headed, rational, practical man. Science, physics, and mathematics have been, and still are, dominant in all of my thinking and activities, so I don't believe in ghosts nor any religion. I live in south of England in a 100-year-old house that I moved into four years ago. In it is one room that I use for my hobby, which is electronics. The room is full of electronic equipment and tools, and I'm the only one who uses it. 
Today, I went into that room and found that my reel of solder had vanished from my workbench. I searched everywhere, but it couldn't be found, so I gave up. I went to my spare parts cupboard where I keep stuff, including a box labeled Spare Solder Reels to get a replacement reel. What did I find in there? The missing solder reel. Now there's no way I would have put that reel that I used every day in that box. Things like this happen many times here. Things fall off of shelves, things move around, sometimes they're found, sometimes they're never seen again. These things only happen to me, though. My wife is not affected. If I was not of a strong, rational mind, I'd deduce that I was going crazy, but I'm not. These are examples of DOP, and it's all very spooky. A woman named Katie wrote me and said, I'm so glad I found this site. I need to know more. I had a DOP experience this weekend that I wanted to tell you about. I have a tube of eye serum that I use every morning and evening. I always keep it in the same spot. When I went to retrieve it the other night to use it, it wasn't there. I looked through my entire bedroom and bathroom and checked other related places in case I had accidentally tossed it in with hair products I had put away. But I had no luck, and my bedroom was picked up so it was clearly not sitting anywhere else. The next morning, I walked across my clean, picked-up floor and went into the bathroom to take a shower. When I came out of the bathroom, I looked down, and the tube of eye serum was sitting right in the middle of the floor. I know I hadn't missed it, as the carpeting is very light tan and the tube is navy blue. I am 100% certain it wasn't there the night before or when I walked into the bathroom to take a shower. I can't think of a logical explanation, which is why I searched for other explanations I could find and finally found your website. A gentleman named William wrote me about his disappearing object story, and it was a real head-scratcher. He wrote, About 20 years ago, I was home alone and decided to lubricate the lock mechanism on my CVA muzzle-loading rifle. I had just bought a new can of WD-40, and as we had just completed our shopping the day before, it came indoors with the rest of our purchases. At that time, we had a heavy butcher block dining table set with one side against our kitchen wall. I took the can of WD-40 out of the bag and placed it on the table about one foot from the wall. Then I walked across the room to find the small screwdriver set I needed to adjust the small screws within the lock mechanism. I returned to the table, then turned to retrieve the spray can of WD-40. I was planning on going into our garage to start cleaning the weapon, but the can was missing. I know that it sounds as if I'm copying the writings of others, but I searched that room for at least two hours. What makes this interesting is that I never left the room, so there's no way I could have misplaced the can elsewhere in the house. Having a great deal of Irish blood in my veins, my anger grew. I very well knew where I had sat that can down, and I actually bent down and swept my arms over the table's surface three separate times. Although I knew I had never entered the kitchen while preparing to clean my rifle, I walked into the kitchen just in case I had somehow done so without realizing it. Finding no sign of the WD-40, I returned to the dining room, only to find the can was just where I had originally put it. 
I was so perplexed, I gave up my original plans. Upon my wife's return, she found me sitting quietly, trying to find some logical answer to what I had just experienced. Eye-opening, to say the least. A woman named Janet wrote, And I thought I was the only one. The last fifteen years of my life have been torture. Mostly, it's my clothes and my jewelry that disappears. Then I search for hours, and finally I realize, oh yeah, the fairy must have taken it. Well, this time, this very night, my double package of ibuprofen suddenly reappeared on my nightstand. I had been looking for it for three days. I know it was disappearing object phenomenon because I know that I had put it on my nightstand and I had used both hands to feel the whole nightstand when it was missing just in case I somehow wasn't seeing it. This phenomenon is real and I am not crazy. One man wrote to tell me about a number of experiences he's had with disappearing objects over the years. He wrote, I'm normally pretty much a skeptic who rarely has anything interesting or paranormal happen. But this DOP thing happens to me all the time, sometimes several times a week, and it's been happening to me since childhood. Most often, I get the variety where something disappears for a short time, then reappears a short time later, but I've experienced every variety that Mary Rose Barrington described as quoted in your article. The most perplexing and unsettling to me are the objects I've never seen before that just appear in places that they shouldn't be. The effect of the whole experience is such that I basically gaslight myself until I question my own sanity. Because of these experiences, I can't consider my own perception of reality to be relied upon anymore, and it gets pretty unsettling when other people get involved too. As in, there'll be two or more people who start looking for the missing object, who can't find it, and then it reappears to the surprise of everyone looking for it, much like your Sugar Bowl story. If it were just me, I could blame myself for maybe looking right at it but not seeing it, but when nobody else sees it and then it turns up, well, how do you even explain that? For the mystery objects that turn up without explanation, that happened most when I was a kid. Strange toys would turn up mixed in with my own toys, which I couldn't explain the origin of. That's bad enough. But when they go missing again days later, with no more explanation than how they appeared, it's even more unsettling. When I was a kid, I pretty much never had friends over the house, so I can't explain it away by saying, oh, those toys must have been left behind by visiting friends or cousins or something. I knew all the toys that belonged to my siblings, and of course, I knew all my own toys. These toys that would suddenly show up would never be anything that I'd recognize. The internet era only deepens the mystery. I began searching for these toys by their description, only to find that no such toys seem to have ever existed, at least not in this universe. So, not only would these mystery toys appear from nowhere, hang around for a few days, and then vanish, they don't even seem to have ever been manufactured before. And this wasn't just my imagination. My family remembered these toys, too. Almost as unsettling are the objects that disappear and then reappear later in impossible-to-explain places, usually dropping out of thin air the moment my back is turned. 
I try my best to convince myself that the object had somehow gotten stuck in my hair or my clothes or something, and that it had fallen onto the floor, but that almost never seems to fully explain things well enough to stand up to closer examination. It's just enough of an explanation to keep me sane until I can forget about it. And then there's the especially infuriating variation of things that I drop that vanish without a trace before they even hit the floor. It's somewhat easy to explain with small things, such as screws, nails, and that sort of thing, but it's very hard to deal with when it's something larger, like tools and so on. For example, screwdrivers or hammers that I accidentally drop from the top of a ladder which never hit the ground never make a sound of hitting anything on their way down as they fall and are never seen again. Now, how do you explain that? As I listen to these disappearing object stories and I ponder my own, I start to wonder if the universe might have an ulterior motive for these disappearing, reappearing experiences. Maybe those of us who have had something leave and come back again are, in a sense, chosen to receive the simple but powerful message that there's more to this life than meets the eye. Whether it's the result of temporary invisibility, a wrinkle in time, a dimensional shift, alien interference, or something else entirely, DOP is real, and it's far more common than you might think. So much so that I expect that many of you listening to this podcast will contact me with your own stories. I'd love to hear them. Just shoot me an email. The address is posted in the program notes. Thanks for listening. Now, where are my glasses? I know I left them right here. Hmm, very strange. Very strange indeed. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow me and leave a comment. To contact me, use the email address listed in the program notes. I'm Barry Pirro, and this is Haunted Happenings.